0: Hello and welcome to The Director's Voice, a video podcast brought to you by FERA, the Federation of European Screen Directors. We are thrilled to present this series of dialogues between filmmakers discussing their craft and their role in today's European audiovisual industry. In today's episode, directors Bill Anderson and Christina Rosendahl interview Alexander Nanau about his acclaimed film Collective and about taking a political and social stance as a filmmaker. Listen in on a fascinating conversation about filmmaking in Europe with three passionate directors.
1: Um, Welcome everybody. Our dialogue today is part of the series The Director's Voice that Ferrer has developed to explore the question what is the purpose of a director in Europe and the world today beyond the responsibility to entertain? And we'd like to ask this question not only from the point of view of directors with a unique voice, and perspective in the current audiovisual landscape, but also in relation to the rapidly challenging, changing audiovisual ecosystem in Europe and the world. The series is released on video um, uh, on the FERA website, and um, it will be on YouTube, and it will be available as a podcast. Um, we are honored to uh, have with us today Alexander Nanau. Uh, the uh, director and cinematographer of the multi-award winning, uh, hugely successful film uh, collective. Um, uh, My name is Bill Anderson. I'm a director of uh, uh, fiction, uh, film and TV here in the UK. And I'm joined uh, today by Christina Rosendahl from Denmark
2: yeah let me uh, tell you where, where I come from I'm, I'm the, also a film director of feature films and documentary in Denmark and I'm also heading the Danish uh, Film directors association doing political work for directors in general and here in the country. also very honored to have you Alexander Nano, as our guest today and uh, very exciting to hear your 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 to, to pick your brain so so let's get let's get into it.
1: Yeah. So, Alexander, one of the things uh, that uh, uh, struck me as I looked down the huge, long uh, list of international awards, which clearly recognised the uh, the profound humanity of the film that you made, that has touched so many people um, across the world. Um, I I was struck by two institutions, um, the Toronto Film Festival and the Oscars. And the reason why was because both these institutions nominated the film not only for Best Documentary, but for Best International Film. And it seems an example that they recognise that the director's voice can transcend what's arguably the biggest genre divide in our, in our world, which is that between uh, documentary and fiction. And one of the big differences between documentary and fiction films is very obvious at the end of a film, where uh, in feature films, the credit list goes on for ages because there are so many people involved. And in documentary, there are very few. Um, your credits are sort of absolutely tiny. But I noticed at the end of Collective, you actually singled out a specific credits amongst the three or four credits that uh, you gave yourself and your team for dramaturgy. And I w- I'd like to start by asking you as, um, you know, because this film was nominated for best film as well as best documentary. What does dramaturgy mean to you? And what was your experience of it on this particular film?
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, first of all, thanks a lot for, for inviting me. It's, uh, I'm really pleased to talk to you and, uh, yeah, I, I, I was looking forward to this, um, dramaturgy, I think, you know, documentaries are basically for me, um, and that's maybe also why I, I do my own camera work in, in, in my films, you know, it's reality, but it's the way you look at reality. It's the details you depict from reality. Um, and for me, it's always very important in my films to work on dramaturgy in order to um, find the best representation in film form uh, of what I've been going through while making the film and passing that on to the, to the viewer. So I want the viewer basically to uh, have an experience that resembles, for sure, in one and a half hours uh and uh in a compressed form for sure but that resembles basically not only my emotional uh, experience but also um an experience of uh growing of um learning from other people's lives and uh, of you know self-discovery in a way for for, for the viewer uh, and for that you need dramaturgy you need to to understand how you tell a story uh, in order to um give the viewer this experience in in order to, you know, we are still, you know, even if you're a documentary filmmaker, you're still a a storyteller and you're still, uh, you know, a Svengali that needs to work uh, with the tools uh, of um, basically with the same tools as a fiction film, you know, because for me in the cinema, there's no difference between fiction films and documentaries. My experience as a viewer has to be, uh, you know, a a full life experience. You know, it's something that I think about maybe when I leave the theater that that was, you know, there was fiction and that was documentary. But I think that during the experience, it has to be so um, authentic that I don't think about if it is fiction or documentary. It's just my own intense experience as a viewer with a story in in a dark
2: room. And I think, uh, Alexander, could you? Maybe it would be nice for us if you could also for the people who maybe hasn't seen your film yet, we're talking about the film collective, uh, which opened uh, last year, twenty twenty, uh, during the pandemic, the year of the pandemic. Would you just tell us in short what what the story of the film is?
3: Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's always hard to say what it is about because it's so multi layered. So. Uh, It's a story that starts from a a fire that took place in a popular club in in Bucharest, a music club. Uh, And uh, in its aftermath, many people died in hospitals. Uh, And the film basically is shadowing the work of journalists that uh, uncovered the lies of authorities and doctors. Uh, that they can treat these burn patients when in fact they couldn't, and uh, they, you know, they prohibited their transfer into proper burn clinics in other European countries and killed them basically. Uh, and the film depicts the work of investigative journalists that really fight with uh, with authorities, with politicians uh, that try to dismiss their investigation as fake news. But in the end, they find out that um, you know, Romanian hospitals are full of. Uh, hospital bacteria that also killed these burn patients, and that the state had known it for years uh, through their secret service. Um, And in the second part of the film, we're following basically the same story about the healthcare system uh, shadowing the work of a newly named uh, Minister of Health. So it's a story told from two, you know, from within two trenches of society, the, in journalism and and really from you know from inside the heart of power, so to
2: say. Mm. And could you tell us a little bit about that perspective, like that that sort of that two perspectives in the film, also regarding Bill's questions about the dramaturgy? What, what, how did you make that choice?
3: I mean, <clears throat> I made the choice uh, being aware that. I didn't see until then any film where the main character is switching in the middle of the film and I was not sure it will work, but um, I had, you know, my instinct told me that we need this other perspective from inside the system after we had a, a very strong part of the film about uh, this press investigation and really from inside news, the newsroom, which you rarely see and really from inside... Um, first time meetings between whistleblowers and journalists at night and, you know, all the things that we normally don't see, or we only see them in, in fiction films. Uh, and uh, although I was aware it might become a problem to be able to switch main character in the middle of the film and follow then the minister, I felt that if I can feel the need for it in, in real life, uh, and if I can feel a natural drive towards this other storyline, Uh, there must be a way also to find the right dramaturgy in order to keep the the
1: audience interested. It struck me that uh, uh, I've heard people talking about this change of baton between the two central characters in the movie, but it struck me that the director's voice, your voice, was very, very loud and clear, uh, because uh, rather than um, getting the standard corrupt health minister giving you um, the usual... um, I don't know, uh, uh, lies, uh, you found uh, uh, by extraordinary good fortune, you had a new young health minister who, like the journalist, was absolutely driven to uh, uh, speak truth to power and change things. Um, And I mean, I I was just struck by the extraordinary thing that one of the first things um, Vlad says when he takes office is um, the first thing to do in order to regain trust is stop lying, which is one of the most profound political statements ever. But if you'd written that in a fiction film as a script, it would have been discarded as banal, ridiculous, stupid. No one would ever say that. But you had a minister who did say it. And the fact that it was documentary and truth gave, I, I don't know, I, I felt that uh, the, the the thing about the two uh, uh, forces uniting or the the two heroes was that you were able to, uh, elevate the story to an almost mythic level. I mean, was that was that something that resonated with you as part of the dramaturgy when you were putting this together?
3: No, I mean, the thing is, you know, it's an observation documentary. So we didn't, I didn't know what will come. I didn't know what to expect. I mean, I I, I knew that this new minister is from outside politics and the fact that he was transparent and, and gave me access for sure already showed a different kind of intention than, uh, you know, people in such a corrupt system like the Romanian political and healthcare system, where, you know, having access is basically impossible because everything is a lie. There's nothing is is true. Um, But I still didn't know what to expect. And I didn't know if he would not, you know, maybe pretend, fail, be weaker than the system around him that can, you know, wrap people into their (laughs) spider webs very fast. Um, So, it, it was something that we, we discovered while filming. Uh, and uh, for me, for example, while making the film, you know, I'm, I must say I'm not so, you know, I, I, I don't do documentaries and, and even this one, I didn't do this documentary because I, I, I think that, you know, we have to tell the story to bring uh, to change to society or to, to portray society. Uh, for me, all the films I make are really more like um, exploring uh, human nature and exploring characters. And I was, in particular with this young minister, I was really interested in uh, how would I cope with this power, you know, if someone would name me a minister of health or a minister with, with so much responsibility from tomorrow on, you know, how... Does a normal human being deal with power and how do you withstand such a corrupt and such a, um, a filthy, basically, healthcare and political system? So it's it's the question of of the individual more than, you know, trying to tell a story that brings, uh, I don't know, highlights something in society. So regarding my drive, that's the drive with which I explore the characters I film. I never think uh, that we have now to tell a story that will, you know, bring this, this, um, I don't know, this change. And I think that documentaries many times have this problem that they try to be journalistic or activists or, you know, because even though we, may, we also we made a film about journalism, uh, I don't think that I'm a journalist and I'm, I don't think that uh, my uh, mission is to, to uh, first of all, to bring forward the, the, Tr- the factual truths. That's that's the job of a journalist. My job as a filmmaker uh, is to explore human nature.
2: Can I just ask a little bit about that? I think it's interesting... You know the 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 idea that that you as a, as a director you go into the story personally investigating human nature like how would this power uh, story how would that affect me if I was in that position but then again when you see the film um, this the sense you get as an audience is that that this is very much a film about institutional injustice about institutional harassment and not like harassment from one person to the other of course that's part of it but it's on a much larger scale, it's 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 uh, it, it, yeah institutional harassment. So, at what you know, at what point do you, in the in the process did you sort of uh, commit yourself to the institutional perspective? Was that something that came underway shooting, or was it in the editing, or did you have that notion from from the very out uh, from the set uh, the beginning of the film?
3: No, I think the institutional uh, injustice, let's say, is the, are the life circumstances of this uh, person during the time we filmed him. Uh, so it's basically the you know it's the context in which this person existed, uh, and and then for sure you start to dig as a storyteller and to understand you know how does how do institutions work towards an uh, individual and vice versa, and what is an insti- you know what is a system? We always talk about the system. What is a system? It's it's really something that is its components are still uh, human beings that uh, take decisions, and uh, the system is nothing else than, the, let's say, the the sum of the um, life attitudes of of singular people. Um, so there is not no such thing as the system. It's always people behind it, uh, and we see it also now. You know, because what we managed to show this this really rotten system in Romania that consists of rotten people that only lie and steal and are corrupt. We see today during the pandemic, uh, you know, acting out on a completely different scale. You know, Romania is right now the country with the most COVID deaths and the numbers are still falsificated. Although they say it's over 500 people per day that die, there are much more. Uh, Politicians just, you know, start political crisis in order to destroy uh, the institutions and to steal now because a lot of european funds will come into the country and to steal all the funds Uh, so basically they they tear apart society only to be able to steal and they don't care about the fact that there's a pandemic and that their actions are basically killing thousands of people per week Uh, so for sure by showing and by following as a storyteller the way an individual copes and fights and tries to uh, stay true to his own values uh, within the context of an institution, uh, for sure, it, in the end, it becomes a portrait of uh, of a society.
1: Alexander, you talk about um, uh, basically empathy. Um, you talk about the uh, filming the health minister imagining what it, what would you would do with the power um, and. Uh, clearly uh, the kind of empathy that you uh, feel towards him comes across in what you shoot and the story that you tell. and that's why it, I assume it's touched so many people worldwide because we understand human beings. But I just wondered whether uh, that empathy that you are that is your ethos also uh, helps you generate trust. Uh, with the people you're filming and whether that actually uh, uh, sort of uh, feeds the access that you get to people allowing you to film them at their most personal, at their most vulnerable.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that <clears throat> that's really a thing about, you know, the way you build relationships in a very short time with people, the way you you find uh, points of... Um, connection with people because everyone is different you know you have uh, maybe in this film you can see very very clearly there are so different people you know you have a journalist you have whistleblowers you have um fire victims you have parents that that uh, whose children were killed by these people uh and you have the minister and you know being able to um shoot observationally and re- you know whistleblowers we you know, we met them five minutes before we started shooting. We had five minutes to, to to get them, you know, to convince them. So that means also that you have to find with every very fast uh, and to feel the people and find a very fast way of uh, winning their trust. And it's, it's always there are always different things, you know, that that. Um, with the journalists that are always, because they're journalists, right, they're always sceptic. Uh, in the beginning, they even thought that I'm maybe, you know, working for the Secret Service and that's their new way of infiltrating their newsroom. Uh, you know, with the minister, I think it was very important also that he had, he had a very young team of professionals around him. Uh, and we felt maybe that we belong to the same world that once, a modern world uh, where values are respected and uh, we know what you know, the rights of people are. Um, And with the the whistleblowers, it's hard to say what it was. I mean, many times it's just this instant connection you have to people and they trust you. Uh, And other times it's also, you know, the interest that people have in in giving you access. And then there's the first decision is one based on interests. Uh, And then you build from there. But what I always try to do is um, I try to keep a very clear distance that they never have the feeling that, um, you know, that you're serving something or that um, that they know why you do your film or how you do your film. So I would not, you know, basically many times I would not talk to them, uh, you know, when I would uh, stop recording, I would not talk to them. I would just go into a corner and do my stuff so that, that people get... Um, Let's say that the tension gets a bit higher between us, and it, uh, so you know it's not it's not something about becoming so friendly with the people that they accept that you film them because then you don't get anything. You don't, you just get you, you there's not then there's no tension on on the things you film. It's just uh, you know uh, friendly people that accept it that uh, you all will be nice to each other and film nice things. You know. And that's, uh, you can see it many times in films that, you know, they don't have tension because the relationship is too close between the director and, uh, and the subjects. Uh, so, yeah, coming back to your question, it's, it's so different from person to person, but it's maybe something that you develop, you know, from film to film, you develop a better human instinct about <clears throat> how you connect. But, you know, for me, in the end, it's always about the projection I have on people and how I see how it will be on a canvas. So I always check, you know, if there is authenticity. So authenticity that lands on the canvas is the most important. And that's how I can also see how if my relationship to them is the right one for the film. I never go for a relationship that is right for, you know, for us as maybe people that will become friendly with each other. It's always about do I did I do the right choices so that what these people have to give and what lands basically on the canvas is authentic?
2: Can I just dig into that a little it's just I'm just getting curious because it's it I think there's a lot of, of uh, filmmakers that believe that you have to create a big kind of existential relationship to characters that you will follow and that uh, and that applies for for kind of cinematic documentary filmmakers whereas, um, journalists, um, we we may we may believe that that the way they work is is much more uh, quick and um, uh, result oriented and not creating a relationship in order to get the information that they need. But it seems to me as you as when it's just when you talk about your work that you that you are actually kind of not manipulating, but you're you're going after some sense of of distance to the, to the subjects in order for uh, drama to um, occur. Is, is that right? And also the next question. So what do you give them in, in exchange of a longer relationship? Is it clear uh, rules of the game or is it uh, your own, um, uh, your own clear driving force for the project? What is it that you give them that, that exchanges back uh, their trust.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, I think that the the distance is maybe well described if we if we think about it as the distance you have to keep in order to leave space for the viewer to come in into this relationship because in the end you want the viewer to feel that he or she has their own relationship to the character. So if your relationship is too close and you can feel it in the footage and you can feel it on the canvas and you can feel that there's a filmmaker that has this strong relationship, uh, then there's no space for the viewer. So you don't give him any chance to be basically the one experiencing this relationship to the to the character on the canvas as his or her relationship to the, you know, so that means they can't, can't really identify because there's this storyteller that is always... You know it's always there and that's also what I, I what i do also with the camera work i always try to find the best way to film things so that you don't have the feeling that there's some that there's someone chasing life that there's someone basically manipulating a camera or running after life uh, so that's a very important thing for me to to when i think about this distance it's always the distance that is needed for the viewer to have space to get into the you know in between the end. uh <clears throat> And then what I give them in the long run—it depends. Also, again, you know, from from character to character, sometimes it's that people just want their story to be told, and they trust you to to be the one to to see it and to see it objectively. Uh, other times, it's a total risk, you know, people, because you are very powerful, basically, uh, most of all in the editing room. Uh, and that's a good question, you know, why why do people take this risk to give you all this? power over their image you know sometimes they don't know they they don't really they can't really understand what the result will be which is always the best situation to be in because then they just abandon the the need to try to be in control uh, and um yeah so no it's it's very hard you know if you would ask the characters why they did it i don't know if they could give you a the real answer you know what was it in that moment that they in the end decided or was it an instinct was it trust was it maybe the hope that their story will be out there uh, I don't know it's it's uh, you know it's maybe a mix of all these things and it can change every day basically during filming because the thing is also when you follow people for such a long time, they don't expect it. And you try and, and you're trying to cheat a bit in the, in the beginning, you know, you're trying to say like, maybe, you know, some weeks because they always think about days, you know, they, because they see you with a camera, with a very small team. They think of you as of uh, uh, broad TV broadcasting, right? You come, you do your little reportage and then you'll broadcast it. And then you say, like, no, 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 we'll say for another two weeks, three weeks, maybe two months, three months. Then you know you start talking about a year of following their lives, uh, and they still can't imagine what it will be. And they always think that um, that it's too much. That you cannot make a film out of so many things that you you have seen in their lives because the film will be one one and a half hours. Uh, but it's you know from my experience, it's good when they you know when they when all their expectations are basically when they lose their trust in everything that they thought it will be because then they let go of control. Uh, and even the journalists, you know, at a certain point they said like, well, when will you release this film? I mean, the time when you will release this film, nobody will care. These things happen now. And, you know, and, and I would say like, you know, we're going to shoot for another half over a the year. Then we're going to edit for one or one and a half years. And until we get, Uh, a good release plan of the film it might be another two three years from now and they go like okay good I mean that you know nobody will care Uh, and then I told them you know I think that you know it's a film so I think it it has to be valid even in 10 years from now I'm, I'm looking for something that is universal that will stay and I think that that's basically my my responsibility to make a film that will stay also in 10
1: years from now and does not just serve current affairs or a current situation. Alexander, you you, you seem to make it clear that it's the absence of an agenda, um, either a journalistic agenda or a friendship agenda, which allows, which gives the observational documentary its kind of greatest strength. But I am just want to move the discussion maybe into the marketplace where um, the inability to be able to, to write down briefly and succinctly to financiers what it is you're going to deliver to them for their money in advance has always perennially been a problem of, of the observational d- documentary. I wonder whether, you know, in the um, current world of distribution and streamers and funders, whether that situation is getting worse um it's hard to
3: say i mean the thing is the world is the 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 financing world and is changing very fast because of the streamers and so basically i lived with this film i you know i was in my cave during the film and when i came back into reality the things have changed a lot uh i mean what i always do with my observational films is that i invest uh, with our company and maybe one or two other partners, we invest development money uh, into something that we believe in. And then I go out and start, you know, shooting it, looking for characters, seeing, you know, making, trying to make the right choices to follow the right people to, to try to tell a story. Uh, and then I would go to the editing room and really try to uh, edit, a, you know, write first of all uh, and but the most important for me is edit a presentation trailer, so an industry trailer that, that is around I don't know three, four, five minutes sometimes. And that trailer is not only important for me for the future financiers, so that they can trust me and see that I really have you know strong character, is a good the right visual language and so forth. It's actually it's more important for me because if I manage after filming for one, two or three months to compress in five minutes, uh, the story or the potential of, a, of a long of a feature film, then I feel that I can be courageous enough to go out and spend the money of other people. Uh, and so it's really, it's, it's this trailer work and it takes time. You know, sometimes when I work with people that don't, don't know my work, they seem like, well, why would you edit for one and a half, two months? A presentation trailer, you know, you don't—it's not a film, uh, but it's not the, the thing. I really need to understand the details of it and to, to really feel already in this trailer that I'm on the right track. I, I did the right decisions, and I have uh, the fundamentals in order to really launch a whole production into a into a feature film. Uh, because in the end, it's some—you um, know—it's three four years maybe if it's so successful you have to spend another one and a half or two years with releasing it like because now is the pandemic it took one more year to release it basically because of the pandemic so it's a lot of time out of your life so you have to i, I feel i need to build this fundament to um to be sure that i know i, I want to
1: do it it's, it's the D, it's the dna of the project
3: <laughs> yeah yeah and that said you know it's uh for sure you go until now you you know you go to your film funds with it. Um, although I think this is the first film I did. Yeah, it's the first film I did that was financed by the remain Film Fund. All my films that were also very successful, they never found uh, funding worthy. Then uh, for sure, what I also do, I, I was lucky to be invited with my last two films uh, at the ITFA Central pitch, which always was, I think, the most important point of the project to be launched on the international stage. And also test, you know, the waters with with uh, an international audience, because in the central pitch, it far, if you know it, it's, you know, it's this arena where you have basically the industry there and people from all around the world that are watching the pitch. And then you can really see like, is it working? Is it universal enough and so forth? And so that was the financing model. But for sure, now we are living in a world where um, the streamers have most of the money and need content uh and i must i must admit that i'm you know the it's a problem that 80 percent of the f- things they want are crime stories you know and uh it's just horrible you know every every second proposal uh is is a crime story i mean i didn't not any other stories to tell I mean, crime uh, not even a story it has to be a serious you know it's always a crime series which is fine i love serious i Love to do series, uh, and there are wonderful things uh, on the platforms. But most of the, the things they want to do have always to do with some murder crime story.
2: Okay, so I will just uh, uh, rise or draw a balloon down and say that we we have to we have planned to discuss the streaming services and how that affect the uh, the artistic landscape of the director for. Uh, a, a little later in this session. But first of all, I would like to ask you if you could, um, it's just when you look at the world today uh, and the rise of Trump and the rise of the Me Too uh, 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 movement, and also pop- populism more generally, Bolsonaro in Brazil, and, and, and looking at how, how democracies are, are are challenged at the at this momentum. Do you think, you know, or do you think that your film created a momentum in Romania um, when it was released or, or did your film propel a, a momentum that was already underway? And, and either way, how, how did the, how did the film sort of um, grab the, the zeitgeist and, and, uh, and, 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 created the change that has also come out of the films uh, release?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's not easy to measure that. And I don't think that, um, I'm not even sure that, you know, a film um, should try to do that or create a momentum in the, you know, I think that the film has to work individually with every single viewer and work within him in the, in the next years of his life. Um, but it is it is for sure a, a story that um, represents basically in a nutshell the you know the worldwide problem of populism and corruption and the lack of humanity basically that that, that comes uh, with it uh, and for sure we have seen it in the pandemic right in all these different countries wherever you had populism and corruption more people died you know the pandemic was was handled by incompetent uh, ruthless people that were just stealing money it, you know starting with Great Britain where you you know you had maybe the most uh, the biggest corruption exposed uh, during the pandemic and the way that the funds were were spent and uh, uh, you know with a prime minister that is a complete uh, lunatic uh, that uh, provoked so many more deaths uh, like it is now in Romania you know they are completely out of control i mean they don't even try to contain the virus it's just about creating more and more scandals just to steal more and more money um, uh, and as you said, it was Bolsonaro, the same thing, Um uh, they, even the Senate now wants to investigate him for, you know, crimes against humanity. Um, <clears throat> so that said, for sure, we had, what was interesting is that we, we released it in cinemas. We had two weeks in cinemas before they had to close down because of the pandemic. And, uh, we had record numbers, like we had 25,000 admissions in two weeks, which is huge for Romania that does not really have cinemas uh and uh, you know a documentary maybe the highest number before that was 8000 people but uh, spread over a year or longer you know and this was in two weeks and the surprise was that most of them were really young between 16 and 30 35 so this was really a generation that needed the answer like do i stay or do i have to leave this country in order to have a proper life and live in a in a meritocracy and have the chance to, to live up to my potential, my life's potential and not being stuck in such a corrupt society. Um, And that, that was beautiful. And the other thing that we could measure is that the number of whistleblowers with the, with the journalists really exploded once the film came out. So with many journalists, but with the ones you see in the film, basically before the film came out, they had, but they up to 10 valid leads from whistleblowers in their different mailboxes and WhatsApp and however whistleblowers start try to get in contact with journalists and once the film was out that really went up to 70 80 sometimes 100 per day and many of the important uh, investigations they have done during the pandemic started from whistleblowers that came and clearly have seen the film or have read about the film wow. and decided to, to speak up that is
2: great that is, that is interesting. That I mean, you know, I, I must say, I'm just going to provoke you a little bit now, Alexander, because because you, you uh, of course, I understand that, that that you as a filmmaker, when you make a story with scenes, of course, you want to communicate directly to each member of the audience. But but are you saying that you that your films are not politically in the sense that 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 you don't care if there is created a change with your film? Um. It's just. It's just. No, I'm not saying that because
3: I mean every you know every story I think that you tell you hope to reach as many people as possible and to uh, you know to get something out of it that is uh, you know provoking them to change something or to change themselves or to think about other people or themselves. So it's automatically you want your story to to provoke some kind of change. Uh, and with this kind of a story that really touches upon uh, basic problems of of the society or basic uh, uh, the menacing of society, basically, uh, for sure you want people to see things. You you want the anger that you have felt while seeing all the injustice. You want to you want people to understand and feel it. So it would be uh, you know not right to say, I don't want these things to, I, for sure, I want to provoke people. That's, you know, you tell stories to provoke people, right? It's, it's also the way you provoke yourself. Uh, but there is, for example, you know, in in Romania, where we, basically, we don't have uh, uh, film journalism, we don't have film criticism. I mean, the few people that write in Romania are really, uh, uh, although they are young, they are, they are you know, let's say they are not very sharp, right? Uh, and they, uh, for example, although society and so many young people from so many universities also wrote to us understood the film and got it and didn't see it as a film that is tries to be partisan with one thing or another, that, and, and that is a story that tries to show the working of the systems and the working of manipulation and so forth, um, the people that, that uh, try to write reviews of the film, it's a very small group belonging all to the same, to the same group, all said that it is, it, they said it's a political film, but without understanding what they mean themselves, because what they meant is that it is a partisan film, you know, the, why would you blame in the film someone, or they said like, uh, why would the film spend so much time with a minister? Is in the end still a politician and should not give him so much space. Which, you know, if you start to judge stories by how they should be done, or you know, it's it's very wrong. Um uh, but coming back to this thing about being political or not, I mean, that's the thing, you know. I think every story that that deals with society in any form is a political story. I mean, a, even thinking about society, the society you live in and your role in it, and how, you know. If you accept it or not, if you want to live in a country, it's it's still a, it's already a political sort, right? Uh, so um, you know, I think films should be political, and uh, the question for me is always just how good are films or the stories you tell in provoking a thought
1: process in in the viewer or inspiring the viewer. I think that there are, there are there are there's no shortage of social injustice. And there are no, there's no shortage of uh, criminal issues which need to be addressed by people. I think what there is a shortage of is people's belief they can do something about it. And uh, you know, for me, collective is an extraordinary form because it inspires you by showing people who do do this, and they come up against extraordinary problems, but they persist. It's
3: right, and the people also in Romania could feel that society has changed. And uh, as you said. Um, you know, the the film came basically already on 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 a process of change, and you know, just hell you know was one element in it. And um, but at the same time, as society is changing, as the trust in journalists is different, as journalists become better and better and more professional, and there are more and more investigative journalists that are independent and great, most of all young people in Romania. Uh, the problem is that the, the you know the politicians the corrupt ones also change uh, in the way that they understand how to trick people you know uh and um, for example there was an embargo you know they they control most of all the uh, main media outlets in Romania by bribing them with covid funds that's what they did at the beginning of the pandemic uh there was not one single euro flowing into the cultural sector that has to close down although it was promised all the time so everything closed down like we had no no financing for films our cnc closed down uh you know theaters closed down everything and there was not one single euro to come and compensate people that are out of out of work because of the pandemic uh But at the same time, they gave millions in uh, COVID funds for the big TV out uh, for the big media outlets. So basically, there was just a hidden bribe uh, to you know for them not to to report on on the way they handled the pandemic and the corruption that they were about to 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 do during the pandemic. Uh, And they also learned. I mean, there was an embargo about this film. It was not talked about. It was the first film, first Romanian film ever nominated for an Oscar. Uh, And they, you know, people talked online about it. Some small papers wrote a bit about it. But other than that, there was an embargo. I mean, I talked to, to, uh, you know, uh, uh, TV anchors that came to me and said, like, you know, we had such a big quarrel in our station when you were nominated. They didn't want, they said, like, no, we're not going to talk about it. Uh, And that means that, you know, the the system knows. And uh, the biggest problem is in politics, I think, that. On the European level, uh, these people manipulate their own image. They are seen as democrats that try to do the right things, try to uh, to protect uh, values in democracy. When in fact, they're the most, you know, inside the country, they're really the the heads of the most corrupt networks. Uh, and that's the case most of all in Romania with the president of the country. You know that is seen in Europe and is basically applauded by European politicians as being this Democrat, being different, when in fact he is basically the uh, most horrible um, populist that really steps on people's lives as long as he can help his party and his corrupt network to get to the funds and steal them. You know, it's someone who <clears throat> in May said that, that, that uh, the pandemic is over Everything was opened up. People didn't get vaccinated anymore. And now we are where we are. And at the same time, European politicians don't stop praising him for
1: what a great uh, European politician he is. How do you see your future, uh, Alexander, as a Romanian filmmaker? The thing is,
3: I don't see myself as a Romanian filmmaker. You know, I see myself as a European filmmaker. I, you know, I returned to Romania. I didn't grow up in Romania. My, My artistic upbringing is... Took place in Germany. Took place in theater. Took place in groups of people that are were of the most different ethnicities and backgrounds. Uh, but for sure, I mean, my my production company is in Romania, and uh, I think it's complicated for all of us working from here uh, to go on because there is no predictability. As I said, you know, there is uh, the Romanian CNC, although it is. Obliged by law to uh, organize two financing rounds per year, it happens that for one year they don't do anyone, and, and not, not a single one, and then they would not even answer to it. You know, we tried, we tried to to understand, and we tried to address also the government, and it's that's not possible. I mean, there are thousands of people behind the, com- the the companies. You know, you're you're really killing a sector that is bringing so much money back to Romania. You know, uh, and they would just not. They don't care. So the problem is you you don't have a normal working country where you can have a dialogue with the government or the people, the authorities, and then find solutions because they just don't care. They would meet you, listen to you, pretend to understand. And then it's it's always about, why should we give money to these people if we can just steal it in other ways with our companies? Doesn't make sense for them. Um, And that's a problem. That's really a problem because there's no predictability, zero
1: predictability.
3: We don't know when the next financing round of the CNC will be.
2: Well, where do you think that puts the director? You know, you have the population and then you have the people in power. And and if, you know, if the media is and, and the system is, is, is trying to... Um, uh, you know, normally you would say that the definition of a, of a democracy would be a place where the media is free and it's a place where you the, the media, like journalists, can criticize power. And now in your situation in Romania, where the media is sort of going to bed with power structures like the, the big media, where, where does that put the, the film director?
3: I, I, I don't know if I, you know, if it's comparable with the, with the media. I mean, as I said, it's, yeah, it's, it's the, the big media and the, the TV anchors, let's say, are forced uh, to, to follow a certain line of uh, lying, basically. Uh, but there are journalists that criticize the government and there are young and great investigative journalists that unfortunately the prosecutors don't follow it because the prosecutors maybe also uh, belong to power many times. Um, but I mean, the question is, where does it put a filmmaker is the same question. Where does it put an, an actor? Where does it put an independent actor in theaters? Um, you know, it, the thing is that you have a society that because it is robbed all the time and, um, raped basically all the time by, by this political class thus is the, People are not seeing even the need for art. So it's very hard to make your case because independent actors, when they said during the pandemic, we don't have any income anymore. You know, society online would say you should stop begging and go work. Uh, so that's the main problem. The same problem is the film financing Um you have the same reaction. So what? why would you want money for your films from, from, you know, state funds? People don't understand that there's a whole system of, you know, a state earning money back when they finance productions because all the work that is done and the taxes that are paid. They don't understand that and the politicians work with that. Uh, and even in my case, you know, because I uh, refused a medal for cultural merit uh, from the country's president, uh what they did is what even you know a communist system would do they the next day they uh, uh, exposed basically the the financing from the film fund of our film saying that I got it due, during the pandemic not saying it was in 2016 and exposing it as if it, I was the only production to have received state funds and so basically then with their outlets they started to say see he is uh, incredible to criticize us when in fact he was financed by us uh, and uh, let it look as if it was the only one. So the result was I got thousands of messages and online I was like uh, attacked by normal people uh, that I'm, you know, I'm basically a, the scum of the earth that is taking state money and uh, has, has the, the guts to refuse the president of the country. Yeah.
2: But, I, but I'm just curious in this in this landscape of stigmatizing of artists, right? Uh, that, that that you have experienced, you know, would would uh, you know? Do you think that a filmmaker in your position is better off making activist films that sort of attack the power structures directly, or should you should should filmmakers in your country uh, align with younger? Uh, we were talking about the young population that was sort of rising, uh, in the street, uh, at the time when your film came out, you know, this whole movement of young people and their activism should filmmakers in countries like yours, um, cooperate with, with the younger activists in order to, to create a space for themselves to work or what, what, what possibilities of, of, of making films do you think you could create for yourself in this, in a, in a bad situation like, like this one?
3: Uh, these are two different things because I, I don't know I'm not sure I understand what you mean when you say they should align with the people activists in the streets what would that be I mean how would that look like
2: uh, no I'm just thinking you know what, what your possibilities uh, how you could create possibilities for yourself in a landscape of, of stigma towards artists so how do you create a space for yourself to be able to work do you go to Germany and produce films that attack uh, the Romanian power structures, or just tell other stories, or do you stay in Romania and and uh, cooperate with other people who are uh, fighting power structures? Uh, how, how do how do you how do you see your,
3: your- yeah? I, I, I mean that's another thing. That's really we're talking now about films that are basically uh, on the margin between journalism and and <laughs> filmmaking uh, and. Um, I don't, I mean, they, in Romania, you don't really have that thing, you know, you have the fiction films where people talk about uh, injustice and the corruption and everything, but they are perceived basically as um, dark stories from Romania, right? But unfortunately, it would be great to have more documentary filmmakers that really expose basically the, the, the way society works or doesn't work uh, and where the the place of, uh, you know, of the citizen is. Um, But I don't know, there's not much to do, basically. You know, you don't have funding in the country. So the question is, would uh, a German funder uh, be able to fund 100% the story that is about the Romanian society? No, they wouldn't. You know, would I have been able to uh do this film without the Romanian CNC, yes i would have been because i always work with HBO europe that is also funding my films and uh um, you know they would have been let's say the co-producer with the money that comes in from from romania so i could bring in other money from other european countries but um I think there are not many people that have this possibility. And so once you don't have the, the local funding system, uh, I don't see, to be honest, uh, how you could fund a film about the Romanian story. Impossible.
1: Alexander, are there currently any um, uh, strands of double helix coming together uh, to form DNA of New stories, um, whether in Romania or elsewhere, for you. What do you mean? Well, when you were talking about the trailer that you um, uh, work on, uh, have you have you started making developing ideas that will form into trailers for new projects? Oh,
3: yeah. I mean, we started developing uh, projects, but you know, one is a in uh, an animation that doesn't have to do anything with Romania. One is a series that has to do with Romania, but is more uh, you know interconnected European
1: story that uh, you know most are very early in development and is is still for you the uh, ability to connect with other human beings uh, the primary mo- story driver for you
3: yeah i think it's i mean the, the primary story driver for me is always to understand other human beings you know it's like what can you learn from other people that's i think that's um, that's always the curiosity that uh, propels me into a, into a story, or makes me, you know, decide that I want to stick with the story for uh, many years. It's the, let's say, the the richness of the uh, of the personalities of other people uh, from which I can learn from for my own life. So it's just life experience. You know, filmmaking for me is life experience. I just decide which which life experience do I want to have next.
2: Listen, I would like to, to go back to something that you said early on, um, that uh, the streaming services are um, looking for series and crime series. And uh, uh, so I, I, was just, I was just wondering, you know, your thoughts on the situation we have right now where a lot of money is sort of flowing into Europe via the streaming services and this idea that that you launched about the, 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 the business model that they have that is like to a large extent driven by fear and, and crime stories like violence and, and fear in, in, on the screen. Um, you know, what, what do you think are the, the challenges um, for the directors inside the industry right now in this landscape?
3: Oh, that's a very uh, yeah, wide field <laughs> of challenges that are there. I mean, the, the challenges, or what, what I think is something that you know, directors and producers uh, have to keep in mind and have to protect a bit, is um, we're definitely going to go now through a, through a period in which uh, you know, content and form uh, will be uh, standardized somehow, linked to a company, right? So you will have the same look. For a certain streamer you have their look you know you have the way they want things to feel to look to and it's a bit of you know it's a um, uh, it's a thing that will take at least 10 years until there is a saturation and people will start to you know go out of this <clears throat> but the challenge is how can we um, you know be able to keep um, making films that are distinctive and that are really that are authentic and that are not serving basically um the needs and look of a corporation you know that so they, sorry i don't know personal but stories that are authentic that are not serving you know it's it's a bit like if you it's a bit like instagram you know the, the this different streamers all want their own look it's you know you open instagram you know what the look is right the pictures all look same right there, um, and it's the same with storytelling. That you know, the streamers become basically different Instagram channels that want their they want their viewers to know when they go there what they find. Um, but for sure, what I'm saying now is also maybe uh, a generalization that is not uh, not right till the end because. It's also streamers that put money in risky projects, right? You also have streamers that put a lot of money in in stories that would not have been told without them. So also there you have a different different thing. And now in the last time we've seen that they really also finance a lot of, uh, you know, great big authors uh, uh, of the filmmaking world that really make distinctive films uh, and really make uh, different things. Uh, but nevertheless, I think that uh, European funding system has to uh, be able to challenge that and, and uh, also offer filmmakers the possibility to, to tell their own stories uh, that do not serve many times uh, the, uh, the numbers. You know, because now it's all about numbers. Will we release it pan parallel in cinemas and, you know, how many people watched it? And it, it's all this thing about how many people accessed it um, and, uh, you know, many times the greatest films, uh, were a flop when they came out. And now we discovered that they are basically the best films of uh, film history, ever made in film history. And uh, I think that is the thing that we have to protect and, uh, authorities have to protect. But, uh, you know, in functioning systems in countries like Romania, you don't have authorities; They don't even understand why they work in the film field. You know, they were placed there and if they wouldn't be there... Uh, the party would have placed them somewhere else to to steal a bit of money so
2: so so um so the the, 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 the I was just cu- curious about the the because because I think I think that the the one of the problems with the streaming services is that that the that the storyteller is is a is a company or like a big um, uh, like Uh, death star or, or what you call it now that we have the fight between Amazon, Google and Apple, right? It's the big three death stars that are attacking the globe. And, um, yeah, so, so what, what you're saying is that in order to protect the filmmaker as author, as the filmmaker's voice, as the person who decides what stories to tell and also has like the final cut of the story has to be, um, uh, um, uh, protected by the European f- and, and also national public funding systems, in order to um, resist the uh, the pressure from that from those death stars, right? That's what you're saying.
3: Yeah, and <clears throat> to produce films that maybe I wouldn't call them death stars because you know it's uh, they have. I mean, it's it's fine. They have their roles and they they have a market and they bring in money into the industry. People are working. Uh, but I think that it's important to protect independent filmmaking. That maybe the you know the people of uh, streaming services that are very uh, number oriented would at first not see as um, as valuable films. But once they are done and the films are good, they can you know the streamers can be part of them, can co-finance them or them or so forth but i think it's important to really keep an, keep an independent uh, funding system in europe that that's that's why europe is europe that's why we you know we are the cultural center of the of the world because we produce always you know produce things that are avant-garde and uh, different and for that we have a system that protects that way of uh, of working through so the public funding system
2: yeah and, uh, and I was, I was just also thinking because you, because now you have, you have made a film about power and about like, uh, yeah, about the power structures in your country. And, and you, you started out by saying that you, you wanted to ask yourself the question, what does, what would I do with that power? And, and I believe that you have changed in your power positions from before you made this film and up until now because of the film's great success. And, and could you just share your thoughts about how that power that you have gained, I'm um, also provoking you a little bit, how how has that changed you? And what, what would you like to use that power for in the in the future?
3: Yeah, I don't know if I would, you know, the word power is maybe the, the wrong one. Uh,
2: is influence a better word than power?
3: Yeah, I think it's, it's visibility. I think that, you know, your voice is better heard. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, what definitely changes is that people people are interested in what you're doing in your work. And the important thing is that they see they this, you know, seeing this film and then they start watching your other films, they understand that, you know, you, you are good in your profession and uh, uh, more people want to work with you and there are more possibilities. Uh, but, you know, there's one thing that does not change and that is very hard to teach people and to understand is, and it's a, I think it's the hardest thing that that we face as filmmakers, you know, what what is the next story you want to tell? You know, nobody, you you never, te- you can't learn that, you know, how do you choose your next project? Uh, you know, because uh, I'm not necessarily, I don't feel the pressure to do, you know, to have another success or do bigger films. It's just uh, the thing about, so how do I want to spend the next years of my life, right? How do I choose uh, the, the stories that will define me basically because every film you make defines you and every film makes, uh, is shaping you. So, uh, yeah, to come back to your, to your question, um, it is for sure, uh, let's say a, a, a pleasant thing to understand that you have more dialogues, basically you, you exchange with, with, the best people in the industry, right? So that, that's what it gives you. This successful film basically gives you access to another layer of, uh, of, uh, filmmakers and producers. Uh, and, uh, we all know, you know, people that do great things, do great things because they're also highly, highly smart and people you want to exchange with exchange ideas with. And that, that's the great thing that happens once once people get aware of your work and really get interested in your work. Um, but then I think, you know, the way you deal with how you choose your next thing is the same very private problem you have that you always had from the very beginning.
2: And, ha- and how do you choose? What are your thoughts right now where you're in? What are your work momentum now? What are, you, what are your thoughts about that?
3: They're not different from the last times I chose projects. You know, you, you get triggered by something. You have an instinct for something. Uh, and then you try to find out what it is, what the center of a story, of a problem, of a, of a, uh, a project is that you can identify with, where you, can, you, you feel that you want to explore something. It's
1: very hard to put it into words. Yeah. It's- yeah. Independently of the success that Collective had all over the world, how did, how did completing the film and feeling that you had expressed the story with your voice how did that affect you personally on the kind of day when you went, right, that's it finished?
3: It's hard to say because it's a basically it's it's a it's a process, you know, it's not something that happens in one day. Uh, I mean it's you know, because you start you start and see that the, the, the film really works with different audiences and they that they react in the same strong way. Uh, and in a way it's something that you know in the editing room because that's why you think that you have reached a fine cut. Because you think the story is, you know, is working and it's expressing what you want it to express. Um, I don't know, it's strange, it's hard to describe, you know. It's uh, because there's all your your very private connection with the film, and you know all these hundreds of layers that have and thoughts that have flown into every minute of the film. Um, and then once you put it out, it becomes the viewer's experience and it's a bit like, you know, like when a child leaves home, you know, it's, you had your time with, with, with him or her, you know, now it's, it's out in the world. And, um, and I must say, I mean, what I, what I have a problem with, which is not a problem, but it's, it's my thing that I, I know what I've done with the film, with the, with all this complex work. And I'm, I, it's very hard for me to have people, coming and talk to me about the film and praising things, because I feel like, okay, that's your experience with the film. I had my experience with the film and I, you know, I'm, it's complicated for me to take praise. Let's say, you know, it's, yeah, I know what I've done. Now I I know me and my team, we've done a good job on the, on the thing. And it was supposed to give you a a, a strong experience, Uh, but don't come praising me for it because You know, it's just my, it's my job and my team's job. That was our job. It's fine. You know, like it's.
2: I really love that you're saying this, that, 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 uh, that that the different, you know, just the clearness in what you're saying about the personal relationship to your story. And then that the relationship other people has to the story, that that is two different things that has absolutely nothing to do with each other. Uh, otherwise i hope that it will that it will succeed in 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 grabbing people's emotions and hearts but but that that, that you keep that your relationship to the film as a private thing i really love that i will really take that from this session um that's beautiful
1: and maybe we could agree that the world is a better place for your film having been made and we can enjoy it and you can enjoy it Yeah, and we can share all that. <laughs> no, the, the thing, you know it's a in in the end
3: um in the end, it's a job, right? And and uh, you know, everyone tries to do his or her job as good as possible. And sometimes it works out, uh, and uh, other times it might not work out. You know, but we just try to give our best uh, and to to tell the story in the best way we have found it.
2: So I have one, I have one uh, Bill. I have one last question for me, and then Bill can sort of wrap it, uh, the session up. But I, I just would like to ask you. Why do you think it was you who was going to tell the story? What? What? Why is it you and not someone else? What is it inside you that made you pick this subject matter? If you want to share it.
3: Yeah. At first, it was just you know a, a need to understand uh, what is what was going on in, in Romania because it was it was clearly on on the brink of change and it was a change that I was waiting for since I started to go come back to Romania. Uh, And then, you know, the the very private thing was being, having been an immigrant all my life, I was really interested in how people are that dedicate their work and life to a society, because, you know, I never belonged to any society or I never felt part of any uh, society. And I don't identify with other German, either the German or, or Romanian. Whenever someone tells me, you know, you're Romanian, you're German, I feel like, no I mean no, I'm myself, you know I, I don't identify with, with nationalities, but but then I was really because because of the energy in society, I was really attracted by um, yeah understanding how people that really fight for their own society and really uh, dedicate basically uh, things to, to the well-being of the, of the community they, they live in. Uh, that's what, what attracted me all, to all these different characters, you know, from the journalist to the whistleblowers to, to, the, to the minister, just understanding how other people tick,
1: not more than that.
2: Thank you for that answer. Uh,
1: Alexander, thank you so much uh, for talking to us today and thank you so much for making Collective. Um, I think from the, okay. the title of the film um, right at the beginning uh, through to the last lines of the song, we are, we are how we treat each other, nothing more, um, you have uh, articulated uh, an ins- inspiration um, uh, for all of us um, towards a greater understanding of each other and human cooperation in, in the face of um, evil. Yeah. I- thank you very much for joining us today.
2: Yeah. Thank you, thank you so thank much. You. Yeah. And we spend yeah. with you out in the world making more films.
3: Yeah. <laughs> thank you. It was it was a real pleasure. Yeah. Likewise.
0: Thanks for listening to The Director's Voice. If you'd like to listen to more Fera content, you can go to our website at screendirectors.eu, our YouTube channel, or whatever you listen to your podcasts. This podcast is produced by Fera. As a federation of national professional organizations, we are proud to speak for 20,000 filmmakers across Europe and beyond. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, keep enjoying the works of European screen directors.